Welcome back to Studs. I'm Daniel Lazar. Thank you so much for tuning in. Studs explores and honors working. It also honors the life's work of the oral historian and legendary Chicago radio host Studs Terkel. And in my effort to close the social distance, Studs gives me the chance to check in with my people and take a deep dive into what they do for a buck. Today I'm going to take that dive with Kim Greenstein. Kim explains how she broke the golden handcuffs of a corporate career resolving complicated negotiations to doing what she loves, which might be best described as helping people develop the resolve and the strategies to reach their fitness and nutrition goals and to feel alive. She gets into how being a health and wellness consultant pits her against some really strong cultural currents. And she also talks about why she loves lifting really heavy stuff, like insanely heavy stuff. I love her intensity. I love her commitment to helping others. You will too. Enjoy my conversation with Coach Kim. Kim Greenstein, welcome to the podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you here with me. You are a health and fitness consultant. Can you just begin by describing what it is that you do for a living? I basically offer health and fitness coaching solutions, and I do that to help clients basically close the gap between where they are now and where they want to go. Initially, I started out personal training and really focusing, because I do love strength training, uh, on, the, on the fitness side of it. Uh, but over time, I've kind of evolved my offering. And uh, today, I offer more of a comprehensive approach. So basically, the fitness side of it, as well as health and nutrition coaching outside of the gym. And I do that in person and then also virtually. Can you talk a little bit more about this differentiation you draw between being a personal trainer and being a health and fitness coach and consultant? There's a lot of personal trainers in the industry. And if you go into like a commercial gym, you know, the majority are really just taking their clients through workouts. My interest is not necessarily just making people sweat. Um, it's really offering what they need based on the, where they are in their goals. And we can do that in a multitude of ways. One is, of course, helping them to be able to physically do what they need to do, but also offering the, the guidance and support and accountability outside of the gym. And, you know, you can, you can come into the gym and work out for an hour. What you do the other 23 hours is also important. In the traditional personal training model, it just isn't enough. Can't really out-train bad habits. But you have to do a lot of exactly that, don't you? You have to, um, you have to reshape people's relationships to their habits. It sounds, I wonder if that's a lot of what you do. Can you talk about your role in reshaping people's habits? Well, I mean, I, I can't do anything, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm more just the guide. When I first started out in the industry, I think that was kind of the sticking point for me. I could show somebody and I could study squatting and deadlifting and all these things that I love and you know, I know have value. But at the end of the day, it, it takes more than just being able to influence the way they move to really get them where they want to go most of the time. Working out is not the biggest roadblock. 
that's preventing them from improving their health. Does that make sense? It does. So what are the biggest roadblocks that you tend to face from the outset? Stress management and really trying to fit their own health into their daily routine. And it's just lifestyle, you know, making sure they're getting enough sleep. And like when you're in a high stress work environment and you have kids and you have all these things going on, it's really, really hard to prioritize yourself. So I think that's a big one is, is really just trying to help clients come up with a game plan that works where they are in life and that's doable, that is going to be something that helps them move forward. I want to create a hypothetical client for you. This person is hardly a stranger. Let's say you get a, a referral. It's a client who they're in midlife. They've been to gyms before. You know, maybe they've lost their way a bit. They're, they're not in terrible shape. They're not in great shape. They like to work out a bit, but they're hardly a paragon of fitness. They're coming to you because they, they want to feel better. They want to you know, probably lose 20 pounds. They want to get their diet in order. They want to feel healthier. They want to feel functionally healthier. Can you uh, start from scratch and walk me through what's the first thing you do with them? And then talk about how that relationship in an ideal scenario would evolve. Sure. Typically, the way I do it is I would you know, have that strategy session or consultation, whatever you want to call it. And we'll sit down and kind of talk through and I'll get a chance to get to know them a little bit. They get the chance to, you know, they'll get a chance to know me and a little bit more about why, well, why I'm doing what I'm doing and how I got here today. And then basically we come up with a plan that is designed to fit in their life. Kind of coming up with that holistic plan that can be executed and they they know what they need to do focused on actions on a daily basis of what they need to do right now as opposed to not so focused on the outcome but more focused on what they can do today that feeds into that outcome so we would go through the consultation we would come up with the plan i would go through some movement assessments to kind of understand you know how they're moving and understand any aches pains histories regarding that and then yeah, we would we would put together uh, a plan that includes their fitness and and what they need to be doing in the gym as well as outside the gym. You know, when it comes to nutrition, what we would look and see where they are today and what they're doing, and then just come up with some habits. And typically, we just we start small. So if fitness is the new thing, we may just start there. But if they're already active and this is something that's easy for them, then perhaps we would be looking at some other behaviors that they would be ready to start focusing on. And it may be as simple as, you know, getting veggies at every meal or finding lean protein sources that they can eat at every meal. Again, it's just going to depend on the person and where they're starting from. Does it matter at all how much you like this person? I, I ask because it's a, it's a relationship. And in some ways, it's a complicated relationship that plays into people's insecurities and their fears and anxieties. Does it matter to you that they like you? And does it matter to you whether or not you like them? Well, I think if there's not a connection, it probably won't be something that will move forward anyway. 
I think that's a, it's a great question. And I think it's a, it's an important one. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I've seen many trainers that in my opinion were very, very poor trainers in terms of mechanics, but they are really good at connecting with people. So they have clients. I mean, people keep coming back. And so the relationship is absolutely critical and the ability to make those connections and, and build the relationships. And that's really one of my favorite parts of the job is having the opportunity to get to know my clients and really getting that perspective. Because everybody who walks in the door has very different circumstances and has had different experiences. And it's critical to be able to make that connection and develop the relationship over time. And I think if that's not something that's going to happen, it probably won't be a long-term situation anyway. How aware are you of the problem that you are not really by choice, but just by circumstance dealing with a lot of people's shame and their guilt and their frustration about their physical well-being and I, I guess as such their mental well-being. You're, you're dealing with some real heavy feelings. How aware of that do you feel you ought to be? Well, I, I think it's very important to recognize that many people are struggling emotionally. And I think that's where a lot of coaches and trainers actually go wrong in that they don't know how to empower their clients. And I mean, you really have to start getting into the psychology behind behavior change and and understanding kind of what makes people tick and and how to, to better connect and support those who are maybe not feeling their best. And in the industry in general, I, I think it's a mess. And the media drives a lot of body image issues that if we don't help to educate and recognize, it, it can be devastating for all genders. And you know, I, I think there's a lot of focus on females, and I, it's a it's a big topic with females, but it affects everyone. That's that's part of the whole you know, coaching is how powerful the mindset is and to kind of shift gears and, and start to retrain the way they think. I think a lot of people judge based on physical appearance and really starting, you know, to, to try to, to get past that and to recognize that whether you gain 10 pounds or lose 10 pounds doesn't change you as a person. You've been doing a lot of research, a lot of reading, uh, a lot of training yourself. There are schools to which you subscribe. There are theories and programs and paradigms which really excite you. Can you talk a little bit about your way of approaching coaching? My perspective is we're living in a very much a diet culture. You know, there's a $70 billion diet industry that's making money off of all the people who go through all this yo yo of, you know, losing and gaining and spinning in circles. I, I don't think what my approach is is anything that is revolutionary by any stretch. It's really just 
getting really good at the basics and recognizing that food is our ally and it's not something, you know, the less you eat, it doesn't make you better. And this is based on what's out there in terms of research, but also working with clients. Um, there's a lot of people that will under eat on a regular basis. And when, when I talk about under eating, they're under consuming all the things that they need to be eating and to have the nutrients that they need to be able to perform at their best. Um, and then, you know, after you starve yourself for <laughs> a while, you, you binge, right? That's just a normal thing. You're, you're, you're going to crave those higher calorie foods and, you know, emotions are, are part of this cycle. And, you know, it's not super simple for, for some, like there's some things that they really have to kind of dig into and work through. But we, as, as a society have come to think that there's some quick fix, you know, there's all these different products on the market. It just blows my mind that it all can exist. You know, behavior change is hard. I'm not going to discount that. But if we work toward just really getting good at the basics, we're going to have much more sustainable results. We're going to feel better. We're going to be mentally able to function much better. We're going to have more energy to do the things that we want to do. And and when it comes to training, it's kind of, you know, it's just like the nutrition. There's, There's a lot of fads that come and go. There's no one approach that's going to be right for everyone. And in, in recent times, it's been the uh, high-intensity interval training. It's not bad per se. I mean, for some, it can be great. Others, it could be detrimental. So ultimately, working with my clients to find the right balance for them to help them to, to move toward their goals with always an, an, an emphasis on health is what I'm doing. And it, like I said, I don't think that's anything revolutionary, but it's kind of cutting out the nonsense and all the extra fluff that just causing more confusion than anything. And then of course, my, my love is, is resistance training. And I, I mean, I love all fitness related endeavors, but what I, what I really enjoy is helping clients to learn how to master the basics with resistance training, because as we age, that becomes much more important as we uh, will tend to lose muscle and bone density. Speaking of resistance, it seems like some of your passion for this is because you are resisting not only a mainstream American culture around diet and exercise, which is expressly unhealthy, but you also seem to be resisting a trend in mainstream personal training culture that you are are trying to counteract. Why are there so many terribly misguided, borderline dangerous trainers out there? <laughs> the, the funny thing is, and in the US, uh, it's different than other countries, but there's really not much standard when it comes to personal training, the barrier to entry is extremely low. So you, if you wanted to train, uh, you could probably get a cert. You may even be able to do it on the internet and be coaching people, get, you know, you can get insurance and be coaching people in no time and know absolutely nothing. 
I don't know if that <laughs> answers the question, but that's the reality. And then also a lot of these big gyms, they'll hire trainers. I don't know what the average pay is, but it's extremely low. And to really do well in the industry, you have to have an interest in continuing to learn. And I don't think a lot of people do that. You a moment ago alluded to your passion for resistance training, and I think in particular powerlifting. Can you talk a bit about your personal experience as a powerlifter? How did you get into powerlifting? Talk about some of your accomplishments and where are you at with powerlifting now? I think when I got into strength training. It was after I had my second kid and I tr- like I had been a runner my whole life, but when I went back to running, it didn't feel good. I shouldn't have been running at that time. And now that I know what I know now, I was, my body was not prepared to return to running. It did send me down a path of kind of learning uh, all about you know what not to do. <laughs> and then also with the strength training, I, you know, I just, I did fall in love with it from the start. The environment that I, I first got into it wasn't necessarily the best place for me, but I enjoyed it. It was a, a it was group training. It was a community environment and it was fun, but it was kind of a competitive environment, which I also love, but it really kind of encouraged me to push past where I should be. Uh, in terms of training intensity and even exercise selection. At the end of the day, if I wanted to continue and progress, I had to take several steps back and kind of learn a little bit more about movement and you know why I was having aches and pains. I'm all for uh, you know building and maintaining muscle for the purpose of health. Uh, powerlifting, on the other hand, I love for the competitive outlet but it's not for health. And I I think it's a good thing to make that differentiation. And I think sometimes those lines can get blurred. Uh, Why do you love it though? I think as we, you know, as adults, we all have the need to continue to have fun, right? And to challenge ourselves physically and mentally. As we become parents and we have stressful careers and you know basically full lives where we have a lot going on, it's very easy to let ourselves go on the back burner and we don't necessarily prioritize the things that we enjoy as much. I, I think for me, it's just been that outlet that has kind of been something that has challenged me physically and mentally to kind of explore what I'm capable of. You have accolades. I believe uh, your title is strongest uh, five foot one woman in the world. What, what, <laughs> what is it exactly? I'm very proud of you. And I want my 13 listeners to hear what Tim Greenstein has done. So, so make with it. What did, you tell, are tell funny. Uh, first of all, I'm 5'2". Uh-huh. And yeah, I, I competed for the first time at a national level last fall, which was fun. And scary. It was the largest event that I had ever even been to. And um, so I think for me, I, I performed fairly well, but I think... Oh my God, why um, are you being so vague? To get to the I, national level, you, you became like the strongest woman of your weight, a natural powerlifter in Illinois, so, and then like in the Midwest, and then something like that, right? And then you made it to... You earned your path to a, a national well, competition, right? It's a, it, so you're, I think you're referring to raw powerlifters. 
okay. instead of natural. So that okay. just means equipment wise, you don't you don't use equipment. For my size and for my age, I have several records in the in the state of Illinois. At nationals, you know, my goal was to hit a three times body weight deadlift and I got to do that. So that was really the highlight. Yeah. But uh, you know, there's people who are way stronger than me. I, I and that's that's okay. I want to really kind of push intensity, but I want to stay healthy. Let's talk about a day where you're going to the gym and you're going to have the opportunity to uh, train a couple clients, coach them. Um, how does that day start? What does an average day at the gym look like? I basically cluster my clients in the morning hours. A lot of trainers, they, they'll have clients early in the morning and then they'll have clients late in the evening. And that is, that is not fun. And I, I don't need to do that, thankfully. It's hard to work that split shift. The way I have my schedule and I'm grateful I'm able to do it is I will work early in the morning and then by the end of the school day, I'm finished with work. And I do most of the training on the floor in the first half of the day and then all the administrative, you know, programming or that I need to do, uh, contacting clients or, you know, managing stuff online after that. You show up and let's say a training session is an hour. Is that about standard? Yep. And your training, uh, your session begins with what? So it might be a little soft tissue work, some positional breathing, then basically a warm up. Then we jump into whatever we're working on for that day. Uh, are you talking a lot during these sessions? Are you giving lots of verbal instructions? It all depends on the person and where they are. I'm not really quiet. That's why you're wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, with that in mind, describe to me uh, what like a really satisfying training session looks like? Like if everything's humming it along, what does it look like when it feels real good? You know, the, the best part is when you can see that the client is feeling satisfied and proud that, and they recognize the progress they're making. When I get to see them feel proud or see that they are, you know, recognizing their progress, that is, that's great. I love it. That's awesome. Give me the other side of that. What is the biggest grind? In this gig, what's like the worst part of your job that you wish could just go away? It's the back-to-back sessions and not having any time between to like eat. I don't want to be the cranky trainer. I need food, yeah. um, so I, I, you know, so I have to be mindful. And thankfully, I can control that to a degree. And I think a lot of young trainers just trying to make money, you know, or, you know, trying to build business, it's very hard. What would you say to those young trainers about how to be a great coach? Like, what does it take to become a great trainer? And, and if I could just blow a little smoke, it seems to me that you have become a great coach in a remarkably short amount of time. Your vocabulary and your insight into this world is quite remarkable. It's downright impressive, in fact. What advice do you have to younger trainers to become great? Well, first, thank you for all the kind words. I, I uh, am still a work in progress. And I think 
for most of us that are really in love with what we do, we, we view it as that because regardless where you are and what you know, there's so much more to know. And every person, every client that walks in the door brings a different set of circumstances with different goals and different things to overcome. And they let me in their world and I can support them. You know, when they struggle, I have to, you know, I have to basically sometimes get creative and that helps me to develop my own skills. So I think for young trainers, recognizing that as you come in, whether you're coming in with a, a degree in exercise science, this is the starting point. And to continue to get better, you're going to have to continue to learn and to put the time in and put the work in. This is, this is a topic I actually just yesterday was talking about because my son, he's nine years old. He is struggling a little bit. He's on a baseball team. He tells me that his coach has no nice words. I'm like, what do you mean he has no nice words? Well, he says he's disappointed in us because we're not trying hard enough. And he basically said, I don't think he knows how bad we are. And it just kind of broke my heart. And and, and the, the reality is this coach is that he's young. He's probably, I would guess, early 20s. Um, he may know a lot about baseball. I'm sure he probably does. I don't think he knows much. <laughs> about motivating and inspiring and, and empowering little kids. That's a big part of being a coach is uh, like learning the psychology uh, enough to understand how to influence behavior. That is a difficult thing that takes time and it takes experience, but it also has, has to require the, the drive to want to learn. Kimberly, I'm afraid you set yourself up for this. How indeed do we bring forth the best in others? That's a great question. One of the best books that I think I've read on this that has helped kind of reframe my thinking is uh, a book by Carol Dweck called The Growth Mindset. Have you heard of that? I am afraid I have not. So basically, it's helping others to recognize the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. So I was telling you about my son and one of the statements he said is, I don't think my coach knows how bad we are. That would be a very fixed mindset perspective as opposed to a growth mindset, which would be, well, you know, we really need to work on our throwing, catching, whatever to be able to make progress. As a coach, I think it's really important to help (laughs) others recognize that we can influence things. And to do that, we need to help them to recognize that they can actually make progress, but they're going to need to do X, Y, and Z. And, and really frame it in a more positive way as opposed to kind of dwelling on the negativity. Yeah, it's, that's a really ambitious task. I think it really goes against some substantial cultural currents. And that seems to be something that we've come back to a couple of times, right? You're, you seem to be fighting against these cultural currents uh, about diet and exercise, which are... Um, downright misleading, if not unethical. And there's these cultural currents about how we see growth and how we see progress. And it's all rather pessimistic, but you seem to have this 
almost fearless mindset. We didn't have a chance to talk about this, but it's really important to me uh, if we could just uh, walk through a, a bit of the story that I had actually, uh, I got so excited by some of the things you were saying early on that I never had a chance to ask. You had a remarkably successful career before you became a coach and a trainer. Can you talk about, just briefly tell us what that was and how you got the courage, the gumption and the ambition to you know, say farewell to the golden handcuffs and take this risk? I worked for one of the largest companies in, in the world and I was a commodity manager. So I was basically responsible for managing contracts and sourcing and contract negotiations, things like that. But really what I was spending the majority of my time doing was resolving problems and uh, helping my colleagues throughout the country to work with companies to get what they need. That was what I enjoyed the most was coming up with solutions and helping them. You know, Kimiji, I have to confess that throughout this discussion, I have been facing this thought and I'm wondering if you could tell me if I'm close. It seems to me that the heart of the project in which you're engaged is really benevolent. You seek almost desperately to reach into your tool chest to pull out the best, most innovative tools you have to help people to reach their goals, to be their best selves. Are you able to see your work as benevolent in that way? Oh, well, I don't know. I think there's plenty of people out there that are on the same team as I am, you know, and um, at some point I'd like to be able to reach a larger audience. But at this point, if I'm able to help the one person in front of me, I am completely satisfied with that. I've been in situations with people I care about very much where I want to help them, but they're just either not ready for the help or they just don't want to change. And it's kind of heartbreaking to me because I, I think a, much, you know, a lot of the chronic conditions in the country that, that we're facing can be positively influenced by our choices and how we live our lives. While it isn't simple, making those small changes in, in working toward improving ourselves can really change the way we live and how we feel and just our overall quality of life. If I'm able to help someone else do that, there's, there's no better reward. I would like to go yet further out on this limb. I have the sense that there are people in your life who you care about deeply and even love who are unhealthy and unwell and you feel perhaps quite accurately, like you can't help them. And it troubles you that you can't. But there are people who come to you seeking help so that they can be healthier, so that they can live more full, robust, and enjoyable lives. And you take that energy and you help where you can. You got it. <laughs> that's, that's all I can do, right? 
Kimmy G, it has been such a pleasure to learn from you. It is a hallmark of my fledgling podcast here to wrap up with two questions. Can you tell me a story of one professional triumph and one failure? Start with the failure so we could end on a high note. Where did, where did it go wrong? You ever drop a bar on someone's head? <laughs> Thankfully, no. My biggest failure, you know, my approach from the beginning and not recognizing the whole human. <laughs> and I remember early on working with uh, a client, him asking me for nutrition advice and me being the person that's all into lifting and, and building muscle. And, you know, my perspective was different uh, than his. And so, you know, he's asking me for help and I'm telling him things that I would do for myself that were not in line with where he was in terms of what he was ready to accomplish. You know. The answer to the question is incorrect. The answer to the question is you once convinced me that I should be kipping when doing pull-ups. That is your ah. greatest professional failure. <laughs> so now was, time out, time out. That was before I was even a trainer. So that does not count. And you asked for help on kipping. You were getting into the CrossFit stuff. Oh, I wonder I, whose uh, fault that was. <laughs> Again, that was before I was a trainer. Let's focus on our professional triumph. Really recognizing where my holes were in terms of my ability to support my clients. And so I spent um, a couple years uh, really digging into the nutrition, understanding how to influence behavior change and how to help clients build healthy habits that are sustainable as opposed to going through extreme approaches, working on developing my skills to be able to offer more of that comprehensive approach. I know that's not like a, a, a fun story, but that I think has really been the biggest triumph. And then lastly, can you recommend one guest I should pursue? This could be a specific person who I should try to get onto the podcast or profession that you would like to learn more about. ICU nurses. I, I do have uh, someone I'm close to who's an ICU nurse, um, Bo, her name's Samantha Olson, or any other ICU nurse that's on the front lines. Well, for being a guest on this here podcast, it is my pledge to you to try to get on an ICU nurse, whether it's your friend Samantha or someone else. Coach Kim, it has been an honor and a pleasure to chat with you, to learn from you, to hear you walk through your evolution in this second career of yours. And if you don't see yourself as a benevolent actor who in her own way is making the world a substantially better place, I do see that. I, I think that what you do is important in those relationships that you develop, that coaching relationship is uh, essential for a lot of people to live better healthier lives. And so I'm wicked proud of what you do. And I'm proud of the risk you took to get it done. And I hope that on your best days, you're proud of it too, and that it feels good for you. So thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. She's intense, right? You got to listen to Coach Kim. You can find her at noblehealthandfitness.com. 
and you could find her at the gym every day, lifting insanely heavy things and trying to help people to help themselves. Okay, I got to go work on my growth mindset. Like, I really have to. That's me. You, you go subscribe, leave a like, offer a comment, and pretty please, with sugar on top, share studs with your people. I hope you're enjoying the shows. I'll catch you next time.